Sorry, you expected something from me. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another pre-Thanksgiving special of Third Degree, the podcast episode number 86? Seven. 87. 87. Damn it. I'm off by one. Hi, I'm Peter. Uh, and with me are my two buddies that I love to talk all things Football Club Dallas. First, I don't even know if he's used to this yet, this Thanksgiving thing, our English friend Dan Crook. Dan, do you do Thanksgiving? No, not really. Yeah, no. I didn't think so. I was so. going to say, you, you ruined my thing. I was going to say, I'm calling in from New York City at MLS HQ in, where they're in the fourth day of rioting since everyone that wrote a story on the MLS Cup playoffs forgot that FC Dallas was taking part. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anybody left at MLS HQ to write a story uh, since they fired so many people this week? Hey, Don Garber goes under many names here. Okay, all right. And I don't think Doyle's going to write one, or we to be. Uh, all right, and then, of course, <clears throat> your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, the good, the one, the only editor, founder, thirddegree.net, uh, Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hey, Peter. Happy Thanksgiving. That seems like a good occasion to mention that uh, if you like what we do, support us on patreon.com slash thirddegree. Thanks to everybody that does, because they make this happen. Are you thankful for your Patreon subscribers? Oh, my gosh, yeah. In this time of COVIDness, yeah, I'm very thankful. <laughs> you have no idea. Gosh bless the Patreon subscriber. Okay, uh, well, I th- you know, I assumed that we were going to come into this. I woke up this morning thinking, oh, we're going to record the pod a day early, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, Dallas's big surprise in Portland and what's now happening going on. And then suddenly, in the biggest, most extreme Huntsman drop yet by Buzz Carrick, the breaking news that Buzz let everybody know earlier today, it appears that Brian Reynolds is about done as a Huntsman, and as uh, none other than Juventus has got a giant Brinks truck backing up to Frisco to shell out some money for our young right back that we just got used to seeing for the team. Buzz, why don't you let everybody know what's up? Sure. Well, a slightly funny story about that is I was putting it all together during the middle of Lucci's conference call today. So I was only half listening to Lucci talk. But um, yeah, basically, uh, as well as anybody else that has watched Brian Reynolds play since he took over for Reggie Cannon, it's pretty obvious that the level is really high and that the potential is even higher. So since that happened, basically every single week, there'd be more teams that would be coming in and watching and, and more interested, uh, particularly European teams. And there's probably been 20 different teams that have come in that I've been told about that have expressed some level of interest. And then as time went on, it got whittled down and whittled down as um, where lots of teams are still interested, but there are certain teams that came to the front in terms of here's how much money we're going to pay you. Here, here's how much money we're going to come in and offer. And a couple of days ago, there was a couple of teams that seemed like they were pretty set to come in at about five, four or five million. And then today, uh, Juventus came in, um, you know, with their number somewhere between six and seven million. Uh, and not just the number, but with the attitude of, 
uh, we're Juventus and we have more money than you. And if anybody else tries to come in, we're going to come in bigger. So they really want this kid and uh, they appear ready to back it up. Um, there are some other teams that are still in there that are still trying to get in there, you know, so we'll see what happens. And now, just like it did with Reggie, once these things get to this stage, they still take some time. You have to work out all the parameters and the two teams have to, you know, hammer out the exact details and and so on and so forth. And you know, SC Dallas is going to try and get a sell-on percentage because that's what they do. And that could affect the final number or some, I suppose. But um, the kid's not going to be here past this playoffs. He's going to be gone this window. Um, all these teams that have come in are are 100% looking for now this window. So um, even if for some reason the Juve part falls apart and one of these other teams gets it done, he'll be gone and he won't be playing here past the playoffs. And on a side note to that, uh, a lot of credit to the kid because this has all been going on this whole time, including in the playoffs, and he's still playing really well in a level-headed manner and doing the job that they're asking him to do, which is sometimes defensive, sometimes offensive. And it's not getting to his head and he's not, you know, uh, doing some bad things on the field trying to show off or whatever. So it's a fascinating situation and it's not done yet, but Juve, the leader in the clubhouse and is coming in pretty heavy with some, what is pretty good money for a guy who's played 14 games for FC Dallas. All right. So I think a, a really good question to answer because I've seen this on social media since you broke the word. Uh, lots of surprise about this news, not just the fact that it's um, Juve, but the amount of money. And and then in comparison to the fact that Reggie ended up going for, you know, uh, almost three times less than this and ended up playing in a on a team uh, in Portugal. So what are the differences between Reggie and Brian and why would Brian, who's only been playing professionally at this level for a very short period of time, suddenly appear to have so much more value and immediately end up at a much bigger club? Well, um, first, the, Reggie's number went down a little bit because of COVID. Uh, I thought he would be 3 to 3.5, and it went down a little bit because FC Dallas wanted, again, the sell-on percentage, as they always do. So as for why, why, don't you just, why don't you just real quickly explain sell-on percentage for anybody sure. listening that doesn't understand that premise, please. Okay, this it happened. It's something with FC Dallas once, and it happened with Chris Richards. It happened with Reggie Cannon. They want a percentage of any money if if the club they sell him to then sells him on. So basically, they're they're betting that the player is going to be successful. They're betting that Boa Vista will then sell him to Lille, and so that there's going to be a bigger fee, and they want a percentage of it. They're betting that. Richards is more likely to be sold than he is to become a full-time starter for Bayern. So they're taking a, they're, they're giving up a part of their sale at the time for a percentage of any hypothetical future sale. So I'm sure that they'll want the same thing with Reynolds. I don't, I'm not privy to the Dallas thinking on this, but I can imagine it will be the same. So as for why Brian's uh, fee is essentially twice what Reggie's is, um, it's partially because of age. Uh, it's partially because of how long Brian has been a pro. It's important that Brian's been a pro and training in a pro environment and doing everything a pro does and not a college kid and not an academy kid. There's a significant difference there. So Brian's been a pro for four years and that's important already. And more specifically, um, Reggie is a defensive, a solid defender, a good defensive fullback. But when he goes forward, that's part of what still needs development. There was, in fact, an interview with one of the head of Boa Vista that was on, I think it was on MLS's website the other day, where they talked about that's what they're working on with Reggie is the decision-making going forward and having to be more impactful. 
Well, Brian's a converted attacker. He's a winger. He's a forward who is now playing defense. So he's learning to defend, which you can do. But attacking is so often individual attacking skills are instinctive. So we've talked about this before, too, with players in regards specifically to um, Paxton Pomichol, for example. You know, uh, European teams have a bunch of dudes that can defend. They got a bunch of dudes that can dribble and play ball and then play in the center of the park. What they don't have is six three guys who can fly down the wing and attack. So the reason he's worth twice as much money, and it could have been more, by the way, I'll tell that story in a minute, is that uh, people look at Brian Reynolds, they think, could this guy be Alfonso Davies? Now, of course, right now, no, he's not, not even close. But they look at the potential, they look at the upside, and they're willing to roll the dice and pay this higher level of money on that potential, that attacking flair, that ability to get forward, that ability to run the line the entire game at a high level with pace. Not that Reggie's slow, but there's a difference when you combine the size and the pace and the flair that elevates his price. Dan, are you uh, surprised or taken back by the uh, news today? No, no. It was slight buzz says this is the kind of player that everybody wants. That you know, as we look, as we go from more of a defensive first fullbacks into the the attacking fullbacks that seem to just generate money in in Europe, uh, you know, and, and MLS is going to be the new the new hunting ground. It's you know where Brazil used to be the place to pick up guys for for cheap. Now suddenly everyone's 20, 30 million and, and every other untapped market is. And and now it's, it's MLS's turn. So, Buzz, you uh, intimated a second ago that you thought Brian could have been sold for more than the reported six to seven million that you, you uh, uh, put online today. What's, yeah. what's, this, what's that about? Well, uh, FC Dallas has... Um, in hindsight, misplayed this a little bit. And it has to do with how much they're paying him now versus what they could have paid him and how much that means he's he costs to transfer. Um, you know, we've been talking about from watching him in training for about two years now, we've been talking about he was ready to get some playing time. And then last year, they did not give him playing time. They gave it to Brisson. And then this year, they started negotiating with him and they ended up giving him a new deal that is a incentive laden deal. So it's got a smaller base and a higher incentive level laden level, but even combined, it's only about half what Paxton and Jesus got. Now in FC Dallas's defense, you are talking about a right back. They don't spend a lot of money at right back in their, in their paradigm and their salary structure. Brian at that point had not played very much. So there's a give and take there, but the fact that they didn't come in and give him a uh, more of a guaranteed contract, less of an incentive laden contract and a little bit more than they did give him. So he's a little in hindsight compared to what he's about to sell for. He's a little underpaid in that context because if you would have paid him that more uh, robust salary, not even in the Paxton territory, just more of like 300 K a year guaranteed instead of 150 plus bonuses that could get to 300 K or whatever, it would have meant that you could have demanded a higher sell price because it shows the value you have in him. So these things are all give and takes. So if you'd have given him, a, you know, or anywhere between where he was and what Paxton has, you probably could have asked for more like 10 million than you could have what I thought he would have gotten, which was about five. So 
just a slight misplay there. It's hard to really claim that they've screwed it up completely because they're about to sell a guy for 7 million pounds or dollars, right. excuse me. But or euros or whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. I think it's 7 million dollars, 6 to 7 million depending on what it actually comes in and and if they get some competition it could change and then of course the sell on could change it. But um, the idea being that if they would have been more uh, f- not faithful, if they would have had more faith in Brian and gotten him playing a little bit earlier and paid him a little more solidly, then this price would be higher. So it's not a massive misplay. It's just a little bit misplay. Is there So did we ever find out why they didn't? Because yeah, I remember being on the pod last season and, and complaining about the fact that they were playing Brisson when they needed to rest Reggie instead of Brian and not understanding why. Well, I have two theories on that. And I do think there's a little bit of pressure not to ruin Reggie's price. Because if you'd have made it clear that you had this gangbusters guy coming up, someone might have not given you as much money for Reggie possibly. So that's I don't know that to be true. That's just my assumption. And the second part has to do with Lucci's nature. He seems much more willing to play a kid and roll the dice in an attacking role, Pepe, Jesus, Paxton, than a defensive role. We haven't seen, we, we didn't see Reynolds play. Brisson filled in for him. Montgomery mm-hmm. hasn't played. Nelson hardly plays, only when they really have to. You know, he's, he seems a lot more reluctant to play defenders that are young. I suppose because of so much of team defending is about experience and playing in a system and that kind of thing. Um, but those are just my theories as to why they didn't. I think they've made a big mistake. You know, if for one thing, for, he for sure should have gotten those five games last year Brisson got. But even this year, You've known for a year and a half that Reggie was leaving and you didn't get Reynolds ready. So like when Reggie finally actually left, you hadn't given Reynolds any games. And so you had to go with Brisson for a couple of games and try and wean Brian in when you should have from the beginning of this season, you should have given Reynolds maybe every third, third or fourth game. You should have put him in not to say that he's going to take Reggie's job, but just to sort of get him going. I mean, pick and choose what games maybe, but they should have had him more ready to go than they did. Dan, uh, your perspective uh, as somebody who grew up in a different country, and by and large, your you know native players as they grew up through their systems just stayed within England. But on the, uh, I guess what I'm asking is, from your perspective, what is the significance of somebody of Brian's age and from being from the United States getting purchased by of all places Juventus? Yeah, I think you know any any global scale club attracts. You know, better, better cut, better standard of coaching, better standard of training, and just the chance to realize that potential. Um, you know, I don't want to sound like too much like Lucci, but getting players out of their comfort zone is such a huge deal. Um, certainly, you know, I do appreciate when you get guys like uh, Jaden Sancho going to to Germany just to get out of the whole notion of. Well, he's English. He has to play in England, and he has to speak English, and he has to never leave like the the little surrounds he grew up in. Um, you know, get these guys uncomfortable, get them some real life experience. It's it's, it's great. It's, it's going to be you know, I, I don't I, I don't always appreciate the notion of oh you know they have to go to Europe, they have to play in whatever crappy twelfth division in. Belarus, that will make them better than MLS. That's not accurate. Uh, there are there are several leagues that will, and Serie A, you know, particularly with Juventus and the facilities they've got, the coaches they've got, the just 
you know the players that he can learn off that's definitely one of those one of those opportunities that just doesn't present itself very often and the other thing to consider is is that after some initial kind of uh, bonks on homegrowns, you know, Kellen Acosta and Ruben Luna, uh, Ruben Luna uh, uh, some other ones uh, that just did, or even, you know, to that degree, Mauro Diaz, or things that, you know, in the plans and the works were supposed to generate a lot of revenue for the club that just didn't turn out that way, uh, they, they are a bit on a bit of a run at this point. Well, I think um, so there's been an evolution with the FC Dallas Academy, Um you know, from the, from from the beginning of its founding to now, they've of course improved over time. Um, the first versions of the team were very local, but now there's players from all over the United States and even foreign players in their academy. So there's a much broader pool from which they're drawing. So I don't think there's any question that the level of talent that's coming out of the academy is higher. Of course, every year that it gets better every year. There's a little bit of a lull right this minute because they've signed two or three guys already, but. Um, you know, down the line, again, there's going to be these big classes coming with more and more talent. So um, there's also a slight change in terms of recognition of what is appealing in terms of sale. You know, we, it's this idea we've ta- that I talk about a lot, that it's like, what do we have that they don't have? And it's the size and the speed. Listen, you got to be able to play. I'm not saying these are guys that can't play. But look at the like, guys like Chris Richards and and Brian Reynolds and um, and Weston McKinney. It's guys that, ha- that have not just the ability to play, but the power and the speed and the size to go with it. So you can see that it, uh, manifest itself in a guy like Justin Che, for example, who has a German passport, by the way. You know, a guy, so that's <laughs> another reason why. Yeah, that's the reason why they accelerated his signing because of that German passport through his mother's family. Um, you know, it's, got, it's, it's the what do we have coming out of the academy that – other people might covet, and that's a guy that we want to sign rather oh, than like yeah. a guy that we could bring through North Texas, perhaps, or maybe wait until he's made to be played a year or two of college. You know, that's going to be an MLS player in a longer run. You know, so there's been a little bit of a change too in that aspect, I think. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see them having missed on some guys in the last five years. It's not just Weston. You know, there's this kid, Charlie Kelman, who's at um, South End, was at South End, is now at QPR. There's the kid um, that's at um, Wat, not Watford, uh, Norwich, who mm-hmm. was with FC Dallas and then was Solar and then went over there on his own. So, you know, time to time they miss out on guys. And no one has a 100% record. But lately, I think they've done a better job of IDing the kind of guys that are going to appeal overseas. And, and Reynolds is for sure one of those guys. And I think Che is going to be one of those guys down the line. Well, it is a uh, significant moment in the history of this club uh, for something like that to happen, especially on the heels of the Reggie deal and the Chris Richards deal. Uh, it, it just continues to set this, uh, uh, this system and this academy up as being the place in the United States that kids are going to want uh, to bring the best talent to because it's the one that consistently, now at least, is putting players uh, on a path to a pro career, not in the United States, but over in Europe. And uh, that's, uh, you know, if Paxton, for example, ever gets his health thing screwed together and puts a performance for even a half season in, I mean, you could see Paxton coming back at the beginning of next season and playing so well and having to do with the Olympics and everything that he's gone by July. Yeah, if if he's healthy and the Olympics will be huge for that. Olympics is a big place and the U20 Worlds are too, not that he would be in that because he was in it last time. Those, those tournaments are big tournaments in terms of scouting and looking for players that can elevate 
when they when they're when they're against a higher level of competition and they're in a pressure situation, can you elevate? So it's entirely possible that Paxton could come out of the back of the Olympics or anybody else. I mean, Philippe is a good example of that as a keeper. If Dallas does buy him, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you look anybody that makes it into those Olympic teams, if the U.S. makes it to the Olympics, of course, that's a big part of that. Um, you know, you're going to expose yourself to these international scouts and you can make a leap, you know, I mean, Jesus is still involved in those national team pools too. So um, those opportunities to showcase yourself are big. And, and Paxton, we know is a special player in terms of like his ability to impact the game, you know, and that definitely has a value. Now, is he going to go for 15 million to uh, Manchester United? No, no, he's not because he's oh. five foot six, but you know, there's definitely a potential for him there to make a jump to Europe, just as there are any of these top tier talents that are signed out of the academy as teenagers. Those guys all have the potential to be European players. And those guys, those are the guys that are not going to stick around for more than a couple of years. No, no guy that's good enough to sign as like 16, 17, 18 years old is going to play 15 years in MLS. That's just not going to happen. Those guys are too good. Wait, Paxton's taller than 5'6", isn't he? I think yeah. he's about 5'6", in reality. I think they list him at like 5'8", but... Gosh, I... Nope, they haven't. So they split the difference on the roster. They're saying five seven. Yeah, yeah, he's not five seven. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, not short. He's pretty short. Uh, How tall whatever. are you, Dan? Six even. Are you six feet tall? Yeah, I would have never guessed that. I thought you were. No, never mind. Um, okay, so uh, well, congratulations. Well, I guess the big thing we just want to say the caveat, right, uh, Buzz? And I think you said this earlier: is this is not anywhere near a done deal. Lots can mess this up. Lots can change. Yeah. Um, these are all just kind of the initial reports coming in uh, from people that you've been talking to. Yeah, this is this sources are people that are you know around and involved in the negotiations, and this is the first big offer that's going to come in, you know, it probably will take a week or so for the offer to actually be communicated, give or take something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just my experience talking now. I don't have any, I'm not privy to the exact details on this, but you know, the window is not, uh, uh, MLS is still playing. He's still in the playoff roster. You know, I don't think the window is actually open yet, but you know, it's, these things take some time. It's, it'll take a couple of weeks. You remember like with a Reggie deal, like I said, Oh, this is about to happen. And then it took like two or three weeks to actually happen. This is the mm-hmm. same sort of thing. You know, it's going to take a couple of weeks, maybe a month. You know, I think it'll be by the end of December that it'll be done. Um, you know, the holidays are going to get in the way a little bit. But, uh, you know, and, and things can fall apart. I mean, knock on wood, for all we know, the guy's going to get hurt. And then then what? But, um, you know, it, it sh- if things progress as they should, this deal will come in somewhere in the next month, you know, in the neighborhood of six, seven million, depending on how snotty FC Dallas gets and or how many other people come in with money, too, because, as I said earlier, um, Juve apparently is pretty determined to get this guy. So um, we'll, we'll, they have a big checkbook, so we'll see what happens. Speaking of checkbook, did anybody ever get a check from the season ticket holder deal for Reggie Cannon and or Chris Richards? Did FC Dallas ever cut anybody a check for those players? I did not. Dan, do we know? I haven't had anything. I think the last one was... Um, Did they just give up on that bit altogether quietly, hoping everybody would forget it? <laughs> I think the last one was Mauro Diaz. But every time we they sell somebody, somebody says, where's my check? And then I don't think they send them out anymore. Well, did so. they? But wait, did they ever get a check for uh, selling Cobra or Ned Yalkoff? No. Or? no. So, man, that would be so like this club if they just, turn, just decided to quietly turn off that deal 
because it probably cost him more money to actually execute on it than anything <laughs> else. The stamps alone probably exceeded anything that actually turned out in, in actual money back to the fan base. Well, is anyone be... left anyone left there that remembers that deal other than Dan Hunt? And maybe he's not remembering it. I mean, oh, no. Uzi uh, left and Clavio left they and started, Oscar left. I, didn't they start that? I, Gina was, was here when they started that program, right? No. Or was it prior to that? Was it even prior yeah. to that? No, it was, it was before Yeah, that. it was way was back it? then because D, there were Diaz dollars for sure. It was Castillo oh, yeah. cash, so it was 2016. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Castillo cash. Well, man, that would that would be really crummy. I mean, it, it wouldn't be... Look, if they wanted to end it, I don't think anybody would blame them, but they should come out and say, hey, guys, we're just not going to do this anymore. Yeah, it's a bit while it lasted, I guess, you know, whatever. Yeah, but you're but you made a big effing deal out of the fact that and it was did. kind of a cool idea too, wasn't it? Even if it was a stupid tiny amount of money, what was it like seven bucks or something they got for any random? The what was the largest amount anybody got in a check? Oh, I think it was only a couple of dollars. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't much. I hope somebody knows the answer to this because uh, I mean I've never gotten one. I wasn't a season ticket holder back then. Wow. Well, maybe maybe the fact that it it hasn't happened and so many players have gone since then and nobody's brought it up, maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of it than I should be. But <laughs> I mostly uh, I think just, it's funny. <laughs> well, you know, you think about it. I don't remember what the percentages was, but if you start getting to seven million dollars and you've got it was like one percent of one percent, it was some tiny little amount of money. But if it, at seven million dollars and a season ticket holder base of what three thousand people. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe it's five. I don't know. And you know, you might get like lunch money out of it for the, for yeah. the between Cannon and and Reynolds. Buy a beer. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Uh, all right. So we'll set that aside. Maybe somebody listening to the pod can answer the they question. They probably for also us. didn't like the. Just with basic math, we could figure out what the figure was how many they received season and then ticket how holders much, they <laughs> well that and how much they actually received from a deal when they you know fc dallas notoriously likes to keep things uh very oh, yeah. quiet yeah but I, how did they not know that the minute they came up with the idea in the first place i mean it was pretty odd i mean that was that's Peter, when was the last time the... fc dallas thought anything through okay all right wow all right fair enough um, oh, well, speaking of uh, thinking things through, clearly Lucci did, uh, because the guys go to Portland. I think we all universally uh, predicted that they would not win this game, uh, although I did predict penalty kicks, although they didn't go exactly as I predicted. But Dallas does come home with a win, and they progress into the playoffs after getting to, playoff, getting to penalty kicks against Portland in what is one of the more uh, impressive round of penalty kick taking I have seen in my life uh, in any league at any level, uh, they win that eight to seven. And I don't know, guys, about how I feel about this because I certainly do not like or understand what Lucci is trying to do with this team. But you know what? I throw my hands up in the air and say it works, and I guess a win's a win, and we move on from there. Yeah, we on this podcast we talked for two weeks about how this was going to be a defensive game plan. You know, when you've when you've never won at a place or won once or whatever it was, I don't remember going in, and you have one or two road wins all year. It's not surprising that you go in with a defensive game plan. Um, was it flawless? No. Did they need a little good bounces their way? Well, you know that's the way soccer works, right? I mean, at the end, 
you know, it either works or it doesn't. In this case, it worked. So I, I predicted they would go to overtime, and I almost got it right with my uh, Valeri game winner off the post. You did you in the did. last second. <laughs> yes, that would have been. I would have felt terrible. But um, what you was know, Dan's it, prediction? Happily wrong. Yeah. <laughs> what did you uh, predict? I, I said they'd go out, get uh, they'd go two up pretty early on, and it'd just be too much for FC Dallas to catch up on. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, defensive game plan. Um, the only really surprise was because um, I even talked. We even talked about Reynolds at left wing. Was that Barrios got dropped, which was um, a shocking development. Uh, I did ask around a little bit, and he's fine. Apparently, it's just coach's decision. So, um, you know, uh, definitely a defensive mentality and uh, it, boring, and, and you now, don't like it, and it, but it worked. Yeah, but so that's what I want to know. So the 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 thinking is he drops Barrios because now he gets Fafa Pico. And Ryan's Hollingshead playing those wing, you know, kind of those forward positions, but they're also noted for their defensive acumen or at least effort. How about that? Uh, Their willingness to track back. And so that just gives them as much defensive posture and potential as possible in that lineup. Yeah, Fav is the best presser, best pressing winger on the team and one of the better ones in the league. And Ryan is obviously these days more of a defender than he is a attacker. Um, and also Ryan has an ability to come inside and combine. He's not necessarily like straight vertical. Um, so there's ability to like play forward, you know, if you're, if you're not looking to counter, which it seems like they weren't. He has an ability to play forward better in combination. So, um, you know, I don't think that I don't think the tactics – were flawless. There definitely was a little bit of more passivity than I would have liked. You know, they didn't they didn't keep uh, the Timbers out of the box enough. There was too high a percentage of I think it was like sixty percent of their shots were inside the penalty box. So that could have been better. You know, it was not the flawless execution. But um, in the end, you know, when you pick a game plan and you win, you got to give some credit for the plan working. And all the subs were great too. So you know, positive uh, result. Okay, but. Come on. This is one of those classic soccer games where uh, one team essentially is playing very defensively and is clearly not the better side uh, and end up getting a win, and we all just look at each other and go, that's soccer, right, Dan? It was MLS playoff soccer. What do you want from it? <laughs> um, you know, FC Dallas could go balls to the wall and get absolutely destroyed, it's, well, we, as we've seen in the past. So, you know, we talked about Lucci out Lucci and himself, and he Lucci'd, he out Lucci'd uh, Savarese instead. <laughs> he, he did do that because as the game progressed on, and I don't think, I, look, I don't mean to sound negative about a win, but it, it was not a performance. If this performance had happened in the middle of the season. Yeah. You well, know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I, I mean, look, there is no question in my mind that you can't look at this game and go, Jesus Ferreira was terrible. Ricarte was not very good. And you can sprinkle that across multiple players in this team because they only had five shots on goal, one in the first half. Uh, there was one at the beginning of the second half, and then they only had three in the second half, one at the beginning of the second half, and the second two didn't come until the 89th and 92nd minute. And then the last one was Hara's header in the 105th minute. And that's it. Well, it's pretty clear over the back half of the season that when they play a team that likes to use a similar sort of style to this, in fact, which is sort of a mid-block and counter kind of look, which Portland likes that. You know, they did it against Nashville because Nashville likes that. They did it at RSL because RSL likes that. Basically, they're trying to do to these other teams what they do to Dallas because when those teams do that to Dallas and they try and Lucci ball, whether it's home or away, they cannot break those teams down. 
So they've, you know, of late on the road, they've been using this philosophy, you know, and I'm not surprised he stuck with it because when you don't get any results on the year, all on the road all year, and then you get two of them at the very end with the new philosophy, even if they do require a really outstanding goalkeeper effort, even if it does require some bounces going your way. I mean, you have to remember that Dallas has the second best defense in the Western Conference and their offense stinks. Their offense right. is terrible. Yeah. So it's they're leaning into their strengths of a good defense and a quality goalkeeper. And it's not surprising. Now, of course, you need some breaks to win it. When you've when you've won once at a place in a decade, you need breaks to win it no matter what happens. And that'll come up again here in a minute. But um, you know, I, at the end, sometimes you just gotta go with what you think is gonna work. And we predicted Lucci would go this way and he did, and it worked. You know, it's not gorgeous, but it, you know, they won. So, so well, thing on go this, ahead. right? You know, we we all, you know, believe FC Dallas can, you know, could have won that game. But when push came to shove, we all said they wouldn't. Um, you know, you've got the Athletic did their MLS Cup playoff preview and didn't even mention <laughs> FC Dallas. Um, MLS didn't mention FC Dallas when talking about anyone. They said, hey, yeah, LAFC, Seattle and Portland, they'll just uh, cannibalize each other and, and leave it easy for SKC. Well, that obviously hasn't happened. Um, you know, if, if there was a star above the crest and not on it, we could probably style point that. But until that's the case, they just went out and got the job done. That's that's all anyone's ever been asking. Yeah, and and the if the thing that, and from my point of view, in terms of credit, was I would I found some of the substitutions very confusing. But man, when he finally got Testman out on the field, Tanner had such a good positive game, and I was even really impressed by uh, the the limited amount of time we got from Tuamasi, who I couldn't figure out how he ended up playing center midfield on this team, but. I'll be damned if it didn't work. Yeah, Tuomasi was an interesting sub. Uh, and by the way, I agree about Tanner Tessman. Uh, he was so calm um, and so composed. His, his penalty was just ridiculous. Uh, his ability to relieve pressure with the outlet passes to the Y, which is where all of Dallas's attacking was coming from, was really a big part of them actually getting forward towards the end of the game. But um, the best I can come up with, and I, we've had two, two chances to talk to Lucci since then. In the post game, there were 30 people, and he got three questions in. And then today... He was 15 minutes late, and there were four questions, and the first three were out about Diego Maradona. So we haven't had a chance to talk to Lucci at all yet. So uh, the best I can come up with is if you're sitting in a mid-block and trying to get out a team out of that block, Tuomasi is a uh, – his attacking style is pretty vertical, pretty direct. So if and when he, you, he does get a chance to get forward, he's going to be better than, say, Brandon Cervania in terms of like – I'm going to explode forward into the box and get an opportunity. Brandon's more of a build kind of player. So that's my assumption in terms of why Tuomasi's in there. The other part of it was something Lucci mentioned today on the conference call. The one question he got asked about the game was that um, Brian Acosta injured his same injury, which if you remember is a hamstring. He re-injured it in the pregame warmup in Portland. So while he was there and on the bench technically, he wasn't actually available. And Lucci says that he – it'll be almost impossible to get him available for the Seattle game. So uh, that limited his choices in terms of who could come in there, which is why it was Tanner and why it was Emma coming into the midfield. 
Does it does it say something bad when I uh, admit to you when I saw all these subs going on? It never dawned on me that um, Acosta wasn't one of the ones being subbed on. The field. <laughs> no, I mean I noticed that the two DPs got left on the bench. You know, you went you you, you left um, uh, Mascara and Acosta on the bench. Now we know Acosta's hurt. I was more worried actually that Acosta would start the next game. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad to know he's hurt. I, I do think it speaks volumes that for as kind of a, a, a slog as this game was, up until, you know, the 85th minute when they finally subbed off Santos and, and Tessman is on there, Tuamase is on there, Ricardo Pepe has come on the field. Suddenly, all of this youth injected this new level of life and enthusiasm into the team that had been completely gone for 95% of the game. And, and, and I don't really know what to make of that as a fan of this team. Well, my big takeaway is that when it really mattered, Lucci went back to play the kids. Lucci went where his bread and butter is. I think that's fascinating. And I think it says a lot about the DPs that are on this team and where they're valued in terms of their, you know, there's a difference between it's in the middle of the season. I better give these DPs some playing time than crunch time. When it really mattered, it was like, you guys can stay on the bench. All right. And Dan, I'll let you start with this answer. He played the entire game. He took his penalty kick, but how would you grade out Franco Hara's game in Portland Sunday night? Um, Being the highest paid player on this team. I mean, the thing is, you know, we can, uh, and, and no one's really, no one's talked about the disallowed, which, you know, you're paid to put yourself in the right places at the right times and, and take those shots. And, you know, while it doesn't count on the stat sheet, he was, you know, half a yard away from putting FC Dallas in the lead and on a very good move. Um, I think really he, he just did a professional job. It, it wasn't a game where he was going to get a lot of chances. He had to drop back for the ball on occasion. He had to support defensively and just quietly got on with it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It, uh, he put in a workmanlike effort. Now, my complaint about him it would be that I don't think he's the right striker for this team. Um, which is an entirely different conversation. But I think within the context of the game, I, I thought he put in a, as they would say, a good shift, quote unquote, you know, and, and passed at a pretty good level and was able to help build out from time to time. Uh, you know, the one play over the top, if he was faster, maybe he would have not been off sides and scored that. But that, again, that's about who he is and why did you sign him for what you signed him for, you know? So Yeah, and guys like that become largely ineffective. And even Jesus, again, who I don't think played very well, I don't know how much blame you can put on either one of those guys because the uh, a component of the attack of this team is so reliant on fullbacks getting forward. And clearly, Lucci had a lockdown on both. You know, Nelson's never going to get forward too much to begin with. But Brian Reynolds, I don't even know, did he pass half field more than once or twice up until very, very late in the game? No, pretty much not. I mean, they definitely had asked him to be a stay-at-home defender until the goal happened. And then you could immediately tell they let him loose. And then he was going yeah. up and down the line gangbusters. They obviously, again, that comes back again to credit to Brian Reynolds when they asked him to play defensive, which doesn't look good at all for him. In a game when people, all these clubs around the world are watching him, and he did it. And he played well, defensive and did a good job. And then when they told him to get forward, he went crazy. You know, it's just... Uh, well, I did, had, it does, it did, but it does make me wonder if Lucci does, in fact, deserve credit for this kind of bizarre master plan of sticking on the players he did, allowing this thing to kind of essentially rope a dope for nine eighty-five minutes, and then especially once they you know gave up the the goal, 
to finally realize that, okay, now's the time for me to unleash the Kraken with all the youth. And that was really the plan all along. I, that's what I said the plan was going to be, was to try and kill the game as much as possible. And then you go for it at the very end. In this case, well, they went down a goal. And went well, that's my point. You, yeah. should, he, should he have opened the game up earlier? Did, did he wait only as long as he did? Because suddenly now he's down a goal. I guess is kind of what I'm yeah. saying. I would have liked to have seen him go for it a little early, but um, you know, the, the, with, with so little success on the road, I, you know, he's just trying desperately to try and sc- grind it out. So, hmm. you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does ne- on the next one. But um, I, th- I, I do think he went a little bit too long. I would have liked to have seen him go a little bit earlier, but remember that uh, particularly Brisson is susceptible to the counter, um, <laughs> it, you know, or Reto either one at left. And a couple of other back. things in his right. <laughs> yeah. style and, of play. <laughs> right. So, you know, and, and, and the Portland bread and butter is the counter. So it's like, yeah. you know, it's not a fast counter. It's a count. It's a transitional counter. Like when you turn it over, they get it, then they go and they give it to their dangerous guys and he kills you. Um, you know, Valeri being the guy. So, yeah. you know, when you're worried about that so much, you know, their, their whole goal is to shut that idea down and give themselves a chance. And they did give themselves a chance. And that's, I would like to have seen them a little bit go a little bit earlier than they did, but um, you know, I, it's hard to complain when they win, man, you know, you win, you, you get credit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting because uh, you know, not that Giovanni Sabarese ever looks like he's got all of his mental acuity screwed together when he's standing on a sideline, but man, all of those sideline shots of him looking so confused and bewildered as to what was happening in front of him were kind of fun and delightful to watch. Well, speaking of sideline demeanor, what do you guys think about how much Lucci talks? You could really hear it in this game. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm sure there's probably everybody that has a difference of opinion about that. I, I don't have a particularly strong opinion about it other than I think it's his nature. You know, I, I know as a, when I was a player, not that I played at this level, God forbid, I just mean like when you play, a lot of times you block out all that noise from the sideline, you know, so I'm not sure how much of it's getting through to guys. I, I, I wonder I wonder if all of the kids are used to it because that's what they're used to coming out of a youth academy, yeah. but all of the veteran players, like I must, I have to assume people like Frank O'Hara and Ricarte and Acosta either have just completely tuned it out or are annoyed by it. Well, I do think there's a larger percentage of it that's going towards the kids. You hear a lot of it for for Brian and for Nelson and for uh, Tanner. You know, it's a lot of instructions to the younger guys a lot of times. But still, I mean, people are amazed. The fans on Twitter anyway are like, oh, my gosh, he never shuts up. I'm like, yeah, he's like that all the time. (laughs) Whenever we've seen him do that in the academy, it's always it's individual instructions. It's not like trying to dictate everything to, to the team as a whole. Players aren't having to you know, necessarily listen 90 minutes, they are, they're able to concentrate on their roles, you know, aside from those few minutes where they hear their name. It's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not like a total distraction. All right. So we do need to spend an, a, a, a definite quality set of time here on this episode of the podcast uh, to throw some love to the guy that definitely deserves it more than anybody else from Sunday night. And that is the goalkeeper, Jimmy Maurer, who really just put on one of the club's finest performances uh, on Sunday night uh, through the entire 120 minutes. And, and you couldn't be more happy for a guy who's had a really outstanding season and n- gotten nowhere near the credit he largely deserves. 
Yeah, let's talk about the fact that he had seven saves, which is like the third most by a Dallas keeper in their franchise history in a playoff game. Mark Dodd had 12 once, which I'll tell you how good Mark Dodd was. But, was, that the, uh, was that the Open Cup game? No, it was in a, an MLS playoff game. I think it was in 96 really? um, hmm. where Dodd had 12. But that's still, I mean, 12 saves in a game is unbelievable to do it in a playoff game. just tells you how much they were getting crushed that game or whatever. But still, Jimmy was seven. You know, and again, some people might point at Jimmy's having to have seven saves. Well, again, he's one of your best players this year. You lean on your best players. He's a leader. Right. He had a huge performance. The penalty kicks, he was so close so many times. And the biggest uh, thing to say about him in the penalty kicks was despite the fact that he didn't get some, he kept himself in it and he kept himself focused and he didn't lose it and was able to finally get one. You know, how weird was it, by the way, in an empty stadium? It was very different. It was very easy yeah, for the kick takers. But, yeah. but um, you know, he came up huge when it mattered and he, and he made the big play when it mattered. And that's how you win games. So um, credit to him. I mean, they're going to have to give that guy a fat raise <laughs> this winter to keep him around. Sorry, you expected something from me. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> I don't know what yeah, I can maybe. Spawn. Just, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy did what Jimmy does. He's a leader from the back. Distribution in a place where they lose possession so easily. Oh, losing possession is such a, you know, it is the way that you, you lose those games. You know, having your goalkeeper being able to play out from the back and, and communicate effectively and, and really marsh, you know, have con- good control over his box is, is such a great thing. The, the, different, the, the difficulty Dallas had was definitely they allowed far too many shots in the box. And, and that's where, you know, Jimmy Mauer, not Maura. Um, <laughs> John Champion did not have his finest night. Or, yeah. Jimmy never called him. He had never um, called a Dallas game before. The best be part was Pablo Mawa losing his shit on Twitter about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how you get Pepe wrong. It's Pepe. A, yeah. A Pepe. It's, it's four letters. Pepe. I mean, come on. Traditional wow. spelling. Uh, well, you know what? It is interesting, and, and I don't know uh, for you guys, but watching all both these teams go – uh, eight rounds. How many rounds of penalty kicks was eight. it? Yeah eight. yeah, eight rounds of penalty kicks, and all of them taken really well. Mm. Uh, not to completely shift to a different game, but it really puts a, a strong emphasis on how amazing Tim Melia's performance for Sporting Kansas City was, and and completely shutting out their opponent uh, in that game with three very good saves. The way he reads the kick takers. I don't know if I've ever quite seen a goalkeeper do that to that level before. And he, and it's not like this is the only time he's ever done it. He does it all the time. Yeah, he only got beat once this year. He was 6 of 7 on the year. That's incredible. By the way, I, I have a bone to pick about uh, all the PKs being good. Bress, Brisson's PK I thought was trash. And <laughs> well, when he was doing the slow run-up, I was like, oh, He's going to go. blow it over uh, the top. That's still, game's over. He's going to blow it. I thought for sure he was going to blow it. It was awful. But he, he got lucky the keeper went went and left him in the middle open. <laughs> well, I, that's not necessarily a bad plan. Difficult shootout in a way. Both keepers are very much of the of a mindset a prayer. of I'm going one way or the other on everything. So everyone just rolls it down the middle. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, it was uh, excitement galore and uh, always getting a win in Portland, even if the fans aren't there to cry and pout about it, uh, is... <laughs> Man, is the uh, log sawing 
even more annoying when there are no fans and it's just the chainsaw and timber joey going at it over there after they score a goal oh it was so loud and so dominating of like attention (laughs) Uh, you know usually it gets as you say it gets lost in the crowd noise and the general hum of the stadium in this case i was like what in the oh yeah that's right timber joey yeah yeah well uh, so there they go. They win the game, uh, tie it. Now, what we, we didn't talk about was the final sequence because I guess we, t- we should talk a little bit about the game of inches component of it. Uh, you mentioned uh, Diego Valeri's, I think he was trying to chip the ball to the far post for a header or some sort of somebody to do something oh. with it, but it almost went in, and that would have been the most FC Dallas of ways to lose a game. It would have been so perfectly FC Dallas. That's exactly the kind of thing that happens to this club over and over. Maybe we have a whole article about that, in fact. <laughs> you yes, can read about it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it would have been more of an FC Dallas way to lose or more of a Diego Valeri way of winning a game. Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. both things. Yeah. But that didn't happen. And I still haven't been able to go back and get enough footage to watch the entire sequence to quite figure out why Matt Hedges is standing 10 yards deep into Portland's end of the field and Tanner Tessman is playing center back at this moment. But of the, uh, in, the, in the classic Hail Mary uh, style, Hedges kind of dumps the ball deep and there goes Ricardo Pepe who had the wherewithal not only to take the shot, collect the ball and take the shot, but once he realizes it's saved and bangs off the post, he's right there to push it back into the old onion bag and tie the game 1-1. Well, that's the old follow the shot, Dan. I'm sure you know as well as anybody, you know, when you when you are in on net like that and you put a shot on goal, you don't turn away assuming it's going in. You follow it all the way. Yeah. And, and Hedges' position, and that just comes down to that's part of playing that back three or back five is that the the central centre back can can attack the ball with one of the defensive midfielders dropping into cover. So it's, you know, sort um, the Philadelphia game at the start of the season, Brassan was doing that. That's that's actually how uh, uh, Paxton Pomacol's goal was created. Have either one of you gone back and looked to figure out how or why Hedges? Because I can't remember. Had there been some sort of free kick or set play that had him far up the field leading up to that sequence? I did not look, but Dan's right. That's actually an FC Dallas staple is that the center backs um, take turns crashing like that, particularly on, I think, on goal kicks. They do it quite a bit to try and hammer the ball back in. You know, it's a, it's a, one of the reasons why Brisson gets burned like he does is because he's supposed to actually do that. Um, and just, but actually get the ball <laughs> and not miss it. But you know, on a goal kick, you, you know, you want to have Matt Hedges or Ryan Holland's head under that ball as well. So, you know, it's, it's a perfect opportunity to get him into the midfield and, and to get that, that winner. Well, the weird thing is that the swap is with Tanner because Tanner as a really tall guy. You'd think he would be involved in that kind of thing. But a lot of that probably is, you know, a wisdom and experience and knowing how to fight and battle for those headers in midfield, I would imagine. But um, that's something you would think Tanner would be better at, uh, you know, further forward in his career, probably. Well, uh, it turned out to be quite magical. And again, always ha- let it happen in Portland. All, all Anytime you get a win in Portland is a good evening, no matter how it happens. So uh, kudos to the to the coach and the team for pulling that off. And now, Buzz, uh, based on the results from last night as Seattle gave it to, to an underhanded F, uh, LAFC, uh, the repeat happens. Dallas goes back up to the Northwest, has to face their demon yet again. 
and the Seattle Sounders on Tuesday night at 8.30 Central Time next week. Yeah. Well, here's the problem. Um, FC Dallas all-time is 1-12-3 in Seattle. So you are talking about a they team. They weren't much better in Portland. Yeah, before. it's the same thing. The, the only win was in May of 2011 when Breck Shea scored 18 minutes into the game. They won one nothing. But, um, you know, Seattle is the best defense in the West, only 23 goals allowed, and they're the third-best offense in the West, 44 goals, which put them second behind Philly in goal differential in the whole league. Now, we saw that Philly just lost at home, so it can be done. They do have a win up there, so it can be done. But the question becomes – the style that the opposition plays. Now, Seattle is not, in my opinion, they're not a sit deep and counter you team. Seattle wants to play. So can you withstand, you know, an 80 minute, 90 minute sit deep against them? I don't know if you can withstand that, that you're likely to get beat three or four, nothing. If you try and do that. Um, my, my instinct is to put a guy in the midfield next to, Santos with a, a double six kind of look, two holding midfielders, basically. Um, somebody young, like Tanner, for example. And I would have said Brian Acosta um, just because it's Lucci and Brian Acosta. But uh, the idea being to try and contain Ladero. You know, if you put Tanner in there as a double six instead of Ricarte in that double, that deep spot. Um, and that would let you put Ricarte high and he could help relieve pressure. Uh, I think you have to try and bracket that part of the field but I don't think you can sit deep. I think if you sit deep, you get wrecked. Um, I'll try and dig out a little bit more as we go forward because the game's not so Tuesday about what Lucci might be thinking. But um, I, I don't like – in this game, I don't like the idea of going there and sitting deep. I think you get trashed. I think you have to try and play with them, which means like last year, you'll see – you know, you might get a 4-3, but um, at least you're going to have a chance, I think, by trying to play. You know, like – who, who you have to sort of have the mentality you have at home, which is like we can like they do against Sporting because Sporting Sporting wants to play too, and Sporting's a good team. And this team this year, FC Dallas, I mean, they've had a pretty good run of playing against good teams that want to play. You know, like uh, dealing really well with with uh, Sporting is the big example. So I th- I think their best chance is to try and play with Seattle. And as crazy as that sounds, um, so we'll see what Lucci does. I'm afraid that. The end of this season grind has convinced Lucy that that's the way to go on the road. I just really think that's a bad idea against Seattle. Now, do you think there's any chance he just throws out the same starting 11 from Sunday? Uh, chance, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a chance. Um, you know, that, that goes back to the philosophy of when you win, you stick with what won, particularly if it's back-to-back road like this. Which is something he's done quite a bit, by the it way. It is. It is. It's, but it, the difference is that the team you're playing is so different. It's not. I don't think Seattle's at all like Portland in my mind. Um, uh, Seattle tries to spread the field and create as much space as they can, and then they try to exploit. You know, they move the ball around, try to exploit gaps on the run. You know, I, I don't know that that'll. I mean, maybe a low block fits into that. This is where it's, it can be hard to read Lucci sometimes because he hasn't been around a lot, and he's still. I know we joke about this a lot. He is still learning, so like he'll, he'll completely change his philosophy sometimes from. <laughs> from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. So um, I do I do think it's a really good chance that it might be this end of the season relative success on the road. Everything's relative on the road. Right. That he'll stick with Nelson not left back and stick with Ryan on the wing and stick Fafa on the other wing and try and press that, try and not let them get forward, try and press, use that double six, probably Ricarte, 
try and contain Ladero a little bit. That's why I think Tanner would be so much better in there in that situation. But um, it's going to be, this is the, of all lineups at the end of the year, this one is actually, I find the most fascinating because of that idea that they can sometimes play up to the competition. So I'm actually really excited for it in that terms. But Dan, based on all of the insane results we've seen over the last several days, uh, I, I'm going to guess all of us are going to ask, you know, at the end of this, we're all going to make a prediction that Dallas is not going to win in Seattle. But I don't know how we would ever feel comfortable doing that based on all the crazy. I mean, Nashville beat Toronto last night, of all things, which just seems totally insane. Well, I mean, the East is a little easy to go crazy. It's kind of just not, not, it's not really, uh, not really the same standard as the West, unfortunately. Um, I just, Seattle's, Seattle's a weird one. Um, you know, definitely don't take anything from their game against LAFC. LA were about as good as a USL team. Um, (laughs) They I mean, were they, were. they were missing yeah. five players. They yeah, were awful. I, yeah. um, at the back, it was embarrassing. Well, it didn't help and they when still, Carlos... It, it, it still help. could have tied it 3-3. <laughs> well, and it didn't help when Carlos Vela missed a with a penalty kick with easily one of the worst taken penalty kicks I've ever seen from somebody who is considered to be one of the best players in any league. Uh, and, yeah, you know, you of that particular league. You don't want a goalkeeper holding onto the ball, standing on two feet. That's pretty no. embarrassing. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, you know, but between that, the Mark Anthony K header in the, in the last minute, I mean, that terrible team could have, could have got a result. Um, the big thing, the big thing for me is going to be, you've got a really, really pacey front line. I mean, especially when you've got Jordan Morris running through, uh, you know, Matt Hedges physically saves that back line. There mm-hmm. is no good option between Reto Ziegler or Brisson for for dealing with uh, with with Jordan Morris. So you've got to look at: Do you bring Hollins head into the into the back, and then you forgo his place in the wing? Oh, dear Lord, that would be horrible. But like you know, for a physical matchup, is that something you do? Do you do you use like Tanner um, at, in that double pivot, and, and you know you just have him kind of. You know, man marking half time. It's uh, you, you know we're talking about you know defense is, is really going to forego the attack. So Portland's one place you can go there and you can say, okay, we're going to aim for the clean sheet. That's it. You know, if we nick a yeah. goal, we nick a goal. If it goes penalties, Seattle, it's you, you have to go for the win. Or as Oscar saw a few years ago, you bunker down, you lose three 0 I'm really looking forward to Brian Reynolds versus Jordan Morris actually. That's going to be a fun, young, attacking sort of matchup, um, you know, because Morris doesn't like to play a lot of defense. You know, if you can work, if you can outwork him and make him run up and down the field, that'll tire him out a little bit. So it'll actually, I think it'll actually be beneficial if they unleash Brian and let him get forward and run and try and make Morris I move up and down the field. If, I wonder if they'll flip the wing and have uh, Joby and Jones on the, on the left so that, so that they don't match up. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Yeah. Hmm. Because then you might have Nelson or Hollingshead trying to deal with Morris, which is not a matchup. Uh, yeah. Certainly not Ryan. Uh, if I'm going to go defensive, I wouldn't mind having Nelson over there to try and match up. But then well, that's not that's not your go for it and try and play lineup. Ryan's your go for it and trying to play lineup. So, with the way he cuts inside as well, if you're going to exploit any space, you're looking at that space oh, between Brisson and and Nelson, ideally, yeah. or for them, ideally. Yeah. 
The other thing I, I wanted to mention about the Portland game, which will lead into the Seattle game, was am I the only one that felt like Dallas looked like they were really tentative on the artificial turf of uh, of that stadium? It, 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 there was a clear difference in how the players were handling themselves and the ball. Like Every time I watched a Dallas player make a run and try to cut – it was always this kind of like very careful, slow turn while I was watching Portland players plan a leg, cut, and go the other direction. It, playing on that stuff just has such a clear advantage to those guys. Especially and assuming when it's that, wet. And especially when, and yes, and, and it was raining, and I'm assuming it's going to rain because it always rains in Seattle. That just is such a huge advantage for those teams. Um, uh, you know, uh, it just, it, I don't know if you guys noticed that too. Yeah. In a, in a way that might be a reason to play Tanner too, because the younger Academy guys are, are used to training on that turf out there. They use those turf fields out past the normal field much more. And they play, even play games on them a lot more than SC Dallas does. So the, the youngest guys are the most used to turf. So put Tanner in there. One thing is worth pointing out is that Lucci does use the fact that they do have the three turf fields. Um, Oscar, would never touch him. He absolutely hated even having him there. Didn't you know? He he wouldn't put players at risk as he as he saw it. Um, Lucci will have the guys out there um, just to get you know get get the touch on turf. Uh, obviously, they get the day before the training the day before. But um, actually, it was in Seattle a couple of years ago. Uh, overnight, they poured a ton of the rubber crumb onto their their turf field, which you know slows it down so much and mm-hmm. suddenly you know what little uh comfort fc dallas had on that field was lost all right so dallas goes back to seattle this uh scene of the crime from last week and so many uh painful defeats yet once again another opportunity tuesday night eight thirty central and have they said what channel the game is on no it's on fs1 so they are saying that now fs1 and if you're wondering in terms of betting lines, uh, FC Dallas is plus 450 and Seattle is minus 154. It sounds about right. What's that in real money? It means that uh, Seattle's favored by a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty big. But that's, you know, listen, that's the thing Lucci was upset about last week. But you have to be honest with yourself when you're looking at the record at a place to play. You're looking at yeah. the fact that they're the much higher seed. That's a perfectly fair. It was perfectly fair that that they were the underdog at Portland and no one expected them to win. No one's going to expect them to win this game either. But you know what? Thrive on that. Go into the locker room and tell everybody thinks you suck and let's go prove them wrong. I do I do wonder, and I, and I think some of this is watered down by the fact that there are not fans in the stands. I do totally 100% believe part of uh, what happened in Portland uh, favored the fact that, the uh, for Dallas at least, that Portland didn't have the Timbers Army behind them, that that game probably ends differently if that place is its typical crazy European atmosphere. Oh, there's no question. Yeah, no question. And but what then leads me to this question, which is I, I think we've all really enjoyed this single game knockout tournament style for MLS playoffs this year. And, you know, there's been lots of chatter online if they should retain this moving forward, because certainly the value of having a home game will uh, change the uh, change the advantage for the home teams exponentially in a future set of playoffs. If, in fact, they chose to do that instead of doing the home and away uh, a set system they've been doing. Oh man, I love it. I mean, look, there's no question that the more games that you have in a series, the more it favors the better team. That's why you have seven game series in other sports. So if you have two games or three games, the better team is more likely to come out on top. 
That's what's so much fun about cup competitions. And this MLS playoff is the first time we're really seeing, I think, the crazy awesomeness of what a cup can be. Uh, and I hope they keep it. I mean, I hope the Open Cup turns into this too, but I hope they keep it because it's been so much fun to watch all these teams cratering and cr- all the craziness, all the insanity of one individual game being everything. It'd be weird if they changed it back. I mean, you know, they made such a deal of uh, of changing it to this much better way that actually rewards time advantage and then to say, well, the only chance we got to see it was with the the – bizarre eastern conference setup with covid so we're just going to go back to the old way now instead but wait uh, hold on i just want to make sure there the the playoffs for this year was the normal setup until no No. it was it's always it was always going to be single game knockouts this year even prior to the pandemic it was going to be top seven seventh and sixth playoff for a playing game and then uh Oh, I first for- missed the misses the first proper round. It was, it was kind of a weird setup, but it was all one game. Really? Okay, I had forgotten that. For some reason, I thought the single game uh, setup was a byproduct of COVID and trying to limit the number of games. I had forgotten they had set that up from the beginning. Anyway, okay. Well, it is better, absolutely. Although I'm sure I'm, you know, look, I felt really bad for Toronto last night just simply because that's a team that's been essentially away the entire year, having to be away from their families playing here in the United States. And man, that's a big ask for a team to have to go through that, especially playing a Nashville team that, you know, has got its act together. Yeah, I, I felt bad for Philly, who's been quote unquote the best team all year, and then now they're out because of the craziness of a one game knockout. But it's fun. Well, that's also the supporter shield curse, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does it does set up some interesting uh, conference semifinals. I think Sporting in Minnesota looks to be a really good game. Uh, Orlando, New, New England with Gill back looks like a completely different team. You got Bruce Arena running things. That's going to be a fascinating game. And Nashville and Columbus, I, you know, Nashville is playing so well and so organized. Uh, and so unexpectedly uh, uh, to this level that I th- that's going to be a great game. And then Dallas and Seattle, you just don't know what. It'll either be a blowout or Dallas will turn it into a game like they did last year and make it super exciting. Yeah, the biggest question is going to be which one of Nashville or Columbus gets to wear yellow. I mean, that's huge. Uh, well, I would assume <laughs> Columbus because it's Columbus yellow, Columbus right? will, yeah, yeah, probably because they're home field. Um, so have we all planned out uh, the route to the inevitable FC Dallas hosting New England in MLS Cup <laughs> just to go with all of the US Open Cup finals and everything else? Oh, it would be a lot of fun. Somebody told me today that they said they had heard, and this is somebody that uh, is within the organization, said that there is a running rumor that that Toyota Stadium was still, at least as of a few weeks ago, was still being considered a a location potentially for MLS Cup. And I wondered if maybe that was a plan B set up in case Toronto Montre- or Montreal made it to the mm. finals and they needed to play somewhere that wasn't in Canada. Yeah, that would have made a lot of sense. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a decent facility. You know it's not going to be busy because they don't do much else there except for, you know, the, the, the D two championship or whatever it is. That's not till May now. So yeah. Yeah. There's no chance that if it's a, there's no chance they play MLS cup anywhere other than the home stadium of an American 
uh, one of the U.S. based teams, right? Well, it has to be now. There's no Canadian teams left. Well, it's not just there's no Canadian teams. It's like all the support that you'd have to take to it wouldn't be able to get in and out of Canada. I mean, it'd be impossible. Yeah. But I mean, now it's it's easy now. I mean, all Canadian teams are out. So fascinating. You know, the only all thing right. I could think of would be like, what if it's a team that has a zero fans in the stands rule? And it's like, well, if we do it in Dallas, at least we can have well, what's probably 5,000. They're probably also looking for a backup plan just in case you get something like New Mexico had to shut down the other day. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Maybe that's yeah. maybe that's what it is. You know, because now we've got the New Mexico bowls going to happen in Frisco as as well as whatever the other bowl game is. Uh, you know, two oh, yeah. crappy yeah. schools and whatever. Um, and then there was, uh, you know, an, on a weird day because this is also the day that Diego Maradona died, and everybody's, uh, you know, uh, revisiting that story, the Brian Reynolds story. But also, Dallas did another piece of business today, Buzz. Yeah, I tried to slide this one in under the uh, under the radar, under all the other news. Um, <laughs> they finally transferred Pablo Arangis to Ude Chile. So, I mean, that was a thing that's been coming for a year. They've been. They've been saying all year long that they wanted to buy him. You know, they were balking a little bit at the at the reported price of one point five million. They were trying to negotiate that down, and then he got hurt, and there's no way they were going to pay that. Uh, so they extended the window, and then they were trying to extend the loan, and then there was a report that they bought half his pass. You know, the only thing we've ever gotten from SC Dallas was this tweet today in this very short article that says they've completed the transfer of Pablo Rangis to to Ude Chile, and we're not going to tell you anything else about it. You know, terms are not. Announced. So we have no idea if this half of his pass is real. I mean, it would make sense that that might be a thing that could facilitate it. Like, you know, Dallas, they love the sell-on. So did they sell half of him and then let's let him go? And this way we can get a little bit more if they sell him to Europe or something, you know. So unless we get some reporting out of South America with some details, all we're going to know is Arangis is gone. But he was never coming back here anyway. You know, he kind of burned his bridges. Uh, when you go into the coaches and say, I don't want to be here anymore, send me home, they're never going to bring you back. You're, yeah. like, you're, you're done. So he was never coming back. You know, in the end, they've just lost money on the guy. You know, it, even if you got back the transfer fee of, what was it, Dan, 1.25? Even if you got yeah, that back, you, you never had anybody that could cover his salary on these loans. So they've been eating part of his salary all along. You know, it was kind of a bad deal in the end for Dallas and just happy to see the back of that guy. Yeah, I, I do think there's a lesson in the Pablo Arangi story for FC Dallas fans of just, just you know, always uh, being a little cautious and leery of, uh, don't, well, let me put it this way. Don't just assume anybody that anybody brings from a South American club as an attacking midfielder is just automatically going to be the next Mauro Diaz. Because I, I, I get, you know, I... That was kind of how everybody thought Arangis was going to turn out, right? He was he was Mauro yeah. Jr. That's how they trumpeted him, but then they trumpeted Ricarte that way too. So, well, yeah, they completely uh, misrepresented Ricarte because yeah. he. <laughs> well, look, he it, wasn't. The, I mean, Ricarte is a good player. He just yeah. doesn't play the same position. No, no, no. And we've hammered this club to death on the fact that their track record with foreign signings is not that great. Now, I have no idea what it is statistically compared to other teams. But, you know, they've had plenty of misses. So any kind of foreign player, whether it's South American or European, doesn't instantly make you good. you got to wait till they get here and see what they have. You know, you might get a guy that might quit on you 30 minutes into the game, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, Morongi's, you know, once, we, once Lucci took over and they changed to a system that doesn't use a pure 10, Arangis was cooked because he doesn't have the work rate and the and the and the tenacity to be a defensive 
free eight or whatever we call Paxson these days, right? So he, he yeah. was going to be he was hosed here anyway because it was false swing stuff was junk too. So you know it, it's it was never going to work, and he might as well be, be glad he's gone and let's move on. I mean, it's a uh, very typical FC Dallas low risk, high reward type sign in. They've you know spent a million and a quarter on him. Four hundred grand salary is not ideal, but you know it's it's whatever. It's not it's not a massive amount of money that suddenly kills the the roster build at all. It's you know so whatever they can get back from him, great. It's just uh, you know nice to to get rid of him and have that not have to use any kind of roster relief or anything like that on him. So the only other thing that took place this week that I personally enjoyed very much was uh, tied to the insanity that took place on Saturday afternoon at Orlando and NYCFC. And if you don't know, it was a crazy story about the game went to penalties. um, And then there was a bunch of referee controversy tied to subbing players in and whether the penalty shoot system was over before they celebrated, blah, blah, blah. And all of that led to uh, Buzz uh, reacting to a tweet, I think from the league, mentioning the last time a field player had to step in for goal. Buzz said, hey, uh, who, what player was it? Chris Bondi, you? yeah. Chris Bondi was like, hey, what about me? Because they had forgotten to mention Bondi. And then the good, one of the most original and longest standing Dallas fans of all time, Charlie, and, and everybody knows Charlie, she said, no, don't forget, Jason Christ had to put on the gloves one time. And we all kind of looked at each other and went, I kind of remember that, but I don't. And then of all people in the world, Jason Christ himself followed the tweet up and said, yep, it happened. It was a game against San Jose. I don't remember the year, but Dario Bros smoked me on the goal. And that turned into about a five-hour crazy uh, hunt for the information online, and we finally sourced it. Yeah, it took a long time to figure out what game it was because um, there's not a lot of game stories left around from back in that neck of the woods. Basically, we just had to start looking for Dario Bro's goals, uh, and then and he didn't score very many, so that didn't seem to fit. And then it was like, well, maybe if it was a PK, maybe it was a shootout. So we finally found a game where, uh, bizarrely, Matt Jordan had a red card, but the red card wasn't listed with like a minute mark. It was just listed as a red card. And that was like, oh, there we go. Maybe this is the one. And that's what turned out to happen was that Matt Jordan, because Dario Bros, this is my favorite part, he muffed the, it was just the old run-in shootout. He overran the ball and screwed it up. And it let Matt Jordan come out so high that when he saved the ball, he was outside the box. And it's a red card for a handball. So he was out. And and that referee was instantly on top of it because uh, Mark Dodd tried to run on and replace him. And he instantly said, no, 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 you can't. And you could see in his mouth, it has to be somebody on the field. So I don't yeah, know Reggie, why they came up with it. was Reggie Ruddy, who was yeah. the, the referee at the time. And it was funny to see him immediately know the rule and go, no, you have to be a player on the field, which was a, a stark contrast to what had happened in the Orlando yeah. CFC game when Alan Chapman clearly didn't know the rule, or at least somebody was confusing him about it. Well, they they, they gave Matt uh, Jason Matt's jersey so that he would have a keeper jersey on. And then I guess Matt's gloves were taped because he couldn't get them off fast enough. So Dodd gave... Jason, his gloves. And so Jason puts those on and the shirt, of course, is huge because Matt Jordan's a much bigger man than Jason Christ is. And he got a goal. He tried to do his best and it was not very good, but it was great to have that interaction with Jason and, and hunt that down. And then 
uh, El Heffy, our friend Dustin, has a lot of games on server, and we were you were able to find it and clip it for us. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that I uh, I have uh, Dustin was nice enough to give us access to his uh, server. He's got uh, games running from the original debut season all the way up till. I can't remember, but yeah, there it was, and it happened. It took forever. Like I was trying to source the information through Transfer Market, just looking at Dario Bros's scoring record, and I couldn't find a game that he had scored against Dallas except for a game earlier that year, but it was in the run of play, like in the 14th minute. Yep. And and the way that MLS was keeping records of the old MLS shootout didn't doesn't show up in those stats. So trying to find the game was really complicated. But then when I finally saw the video and 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 just because there's so much great stuff in the video, um, and then I clipped a section of it and it starts with uh, I had forgotten about Treyes that the uh, guy with the dreadlocks that played forward for Dallas back in in, in that year I totally forgotten that guy. Uh, do you remember him? Yeah, JJ Treyes. Yeah. Yes, I told. And then he and he does this beautiful run up in the shootout. He chips uh, Cannon. There's this beautiful chip in the uh, in the right before the issue, the, you know, the incident with um, Matt Jordan and Bar- Bros happens, and there's all kinds of great stuff in there. So if you haven't seen it, go to Third Degree on the Twitter account and and watch the video because it's uh, pretty classic stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful find. I love these historic moments, and it was it was, you know, sometimes we even thought, are including this stuff. We're like, man, I completely forgotten that. You know, it's once I saw it, I'm like, oh, right, right, right. But yeah. at the time, I was like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's not uh, in the media guide. The, the Chris Bondi is in the media guide as playing in goal for like a minute, and Hollingshead is in the media guide as playing in goal for a minute because Jason's was the shootout. It doesn't register it doesn't as him register playing it. in the game, no, so no. he's not listed as having played for FC Dallas in goal when clearly he has. Oh, the video is so great! Uh, Dave Durr is like clearly just cussing up a storm and throwing out <laughs> some of the filthiest language. And uh, there's that really interesting moment after the game is over when Lionel Alvarez kind of approaches the referees in the most Colombian necktie threatening manner you could possibly <laughs> imagine. And Jason's just smiling and enjoying the whole thing, and it's yeah. uh, it's so great. My the other note is I don't know if anybody noticed it. Did you notice how quickly? Because remember, Mark Dodd at this point had lost his position to Matt Jordan and was backing Matt Jordan up. And I seem to remember there was some a bit of uh, hard feelings about that. How quickly Mark uh, magically appeared on the field as soon as they realized Jordan had been uh, ejected from the game. Yeah, he tried to get in, and the ref was like, not having any of that. No. <laughs> yes. Mark wanted on that field in the worst possible way. So there's so much Dallas burned gold uh, in, in that video. So go, go check that out. Dan, those were the good old days before you uh, came stateside, my friend. You missed all the good stuff. You know, it was, it was kind of funny. I had a new, newfound appreciation for uh, really what we and, and all our colleagues do in the media. Um, you know, we were looking for, for different dates and stuff, and I was looking through the Dallas Morning News and uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram archives, and I was like, okay, the game was, you know, I think you told me a date, and I looked that date, and I was like, that's weird, there's no mention of it this day. <laughs> Next day, no mention. Day after that, no mention. Three days later, Oh yeah, here's like a paragraph on the game, three days before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, those were the days. Yeah, uh, I, w- and- I went to training for a couple of years before another reporter showed up. <laughs> it was like, oh, you know. 
Yeah, um, if you think uh, Dallas doesn't get a lot of local media coverage in 2020, just imagine what it was back in, uh, 20, in 1996, 97, 98, pre, pre-turn of the century. It was, uh, it was dark days, as they oh, say. We wouldn't be here if it had been good. Third degree wouldn't be here. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you yeah. largely started it because there just wasn't anything there else. There was nothing. Yeah, yeah. There really uh, wasn't much. I mean, it was interesting because the Dallas Morning News did have a full-time beat writer in Steve Davis – up until the buyouts happened. I can't remember when the buyouts happened, and, and Steve left the paper, and they got rid of the position. Uh, and Steve always obviously did a great job, but that was just one outlet. But the rest of the the market really didn't cover the team very much. Yeah, when I first started doing this, uh, Keith, not is it Keith Whitmore? Because the guy that did the Big 12 beat for a long time was doubling up on soccer. It wasn't Steve for some reason. And it, he was on it for like two seasons, and then Steve came back. Well, I know Steve did the World Cup and like, you know, before that, like 94 and stuff. So, um, you know, why we'd have to ask Steve someday why he wasn't on the Dallas Dalspeed for those two seasons. But um, I think it's Keith Whitmore, Kevin Whitmore, something like that. Yeah. Big 12 guy. It's kind of funny. I was looking I was looking back through all the archives for something I'm working on. And 95, like all the build up, so much coverage gets to 96. First game, tons of coverage. Second game, a little bit of coverage. Third game, nothing. And then you get like weeks where it would be like the DMN does something. It would be like Steve Davis does something for, for the Dallas Morning News or Tobias uh, Otilo does something for the Star-Telegram. They never seem to like both wouldn't cover the same thing in the same week almost. Uh, I've... It's baffling <laughs> the coverage here back then. Yeah, it was it, it was uh, definitely pretty sparse back in the day. Hmm. All right. Well, anything else we need to cover before uh, we shut up shop for the uh, evening? Yeah, Thomas Roberts. Thomas oh, Roberts. what is going on? Well, he played in a first game. He played with the Hibernian Reserves, Hibs Reserve, against a team from the second division, and they Hibs won two nothing. And Thomas scored the second goal, and then oh wow, so which was nice. And then um, Thursday, Thomas Roberts t- scored against Stenhouse Mule. Uh, <laughs> is that how you say that? Yeah, <laughs> the team. Um, so Thursday, he's joining Hibs first team. So his progression and trials moving on, and he's moving up to the first team. And uh, I think the first game was just to sort of get his legs going because he he was in quarantine for fifteen days. He had to do the full boat, you know, by himself in a room. So um, you know, good start, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah. And, and just to kind of make sure everybody's, uh, temperature is set correctly. This is a trial, um, for him to be able to play over there. There's a whole issue with his passport situation and how he would qualify. It's, it's not like he's, he's close to signing a deal to go play in the Scottish premier league or anything like that. Well, no, they would have to decide they want him. And then he would have to decide if it was the right place for him too. It's just him exploring options. I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine he will go a couple other places as well. You know, he was not going to be in the plans for the playoffs with FC Dallas. This is done completely with their permission. You know, they, they know that he's looking for an opportunity to play next year and they're on board with that. So um, I, I hope he finds a good place that he can play a lot because that's the key for him right now is to play a lot. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Dan, uh, thank you for your time this evening. Happy Thanksgiving, if you, if you, even if you're not going to celebrate it and you're just going to abstain from it. Happy belated birthday and happy oh, opening weekend of the Roja League. Oh, that's right. Yeah. When does that start this weekend? Saturday. In, and they're playing uh, that all over the city, right? <laughs> Yeah, they're all be over at, the Metroplex. Uh, they'll be at Texas Wesleyan uh, on Martin Field. They'll be at uh, 
TWU in Denton. I'll be at Fort Worth Polytechnic all on Saturday, and then there's a bunch of other stuff going on every other weekend. And who and those, and that's made up of uh, Denton Diablos, Ineos and um, who else is playing in the tournament? Uh, they got four for Kiros. Uh, Diablos has that Estudiantes team that actually won it last time. They've Which got, is their uh, junior team, isn't it? Yes, a team completely made of ki- uh, college kids. Okay. Uh, they'll have Premier Legends, which is the team that um, a- another college team. I think it's uh, Jesus Ferreira and Charlie Kelman played for them briefly in, in the summers. Foro, uh, which is uh, Michelle's team, they've got a really solid roster. A lot of, uh, if you want to see who's likely to not be with North Texas SC, you should probably <laughs> watch their games. Um, and FC Harrington. Uh, and Irving FC is the last one. Ah, Irving FC. Yeah, they moved up to the NPSL, Irving FC is. So that's a yeah. step I'm up. Surprised, I'm surprised uh, Riados aren't participating in this. They were asked to. I don't I don't know any details why they're not, but they were they were offered a spot again, of course, because they were in the first one. Because I don't think they're playing in NTPSA anymore. It, it may have been being able to field players, you know. Yeah. It could be as simple as that. Yeah, a couple of their players do appear on the roster, so... You know, maybe they're just throwing everything into um, Open Cup. And so if people want to attend these games, they can? Oh, yeah. The, each each game's capped at about 250 people. They're using the full, you know, protocols for COVID. Masks are required. You have to sit spread out. Um, some of the games have food and drink, and some of them are BYOB. It just depends on the game. But um, you can get tickets to all of them on their uh, Royal League website. Um, oh, and I, I do want to throw this out here because I thought it was the strangest story. Uh, the news that the Sidekicks cut a deal with Channel 21 to broadcast some of their games uh, this season. Uh, do, what else do we know about that? Because that completely seems out of the blue. Yeah, John did a story. It's on our blog about it. Um, they're doing eight home games. And the idea was that because they have limited attendance, they wanted people to be able that are normal fans that would go to sort of connect with the home team, you know, and probably try and show off some of the play and some of their atmosphere since they're putting on these games. You might as well try and get it on. Um, and then all their games, of course, are online, but there's going to be eight of them on uh, TXA 21. Interesting. And also, if you uh, anybody listening to the pod and you didn't read John's uh, story about the sidekicks and the, the bizarre situation tied to their coach and the fact that he's kind of a co-owner and the downfall of the brand and just how bad the team has been over the last few years and how much that's tied to that guy, it's a fascinating read and it's one of the most insane soccer stories anywhere about a beloved brand, uh, which the sidekicks most certainly are in this area. Yeah, there's a lot of people that sometimes when you talk about pro soccer, they'll they'll ask me if if I mean the sidekicks in terms of even FC Dallas, you know, because that brand still resonates across this city. For sure. All right. But I, I, once again, uh, Dan, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Uh, just uh, hope you avoid Thanksgiving as best you can, because I know it probably uh, makes you uh, itch or something like that. Nah, not really. I mean, you just do what we do for Christmas. That's so great. I get two Christmases. Okay, fair enough. And uh, well, thank you and enjoy your your Thanksgiving holiday. And Buzz, thank you. Congratulations on the big uh, scoop today, the Brian Reynolds news. You were the guy that broke it and everybody else had to follow. So kudos to you on that. Thank you, sir. And once again, everybody, if you like the work we're doing, please support us at patreon.com slash third degree. So, yes, thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. And we'll speak to you next week after another win or potentially the end of the season 
on another fun-filled edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Doubt them. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast.